But they nobody live in calls her January. What is her nickname? Jan. Everybody calls her Jan or Janny. Or the general. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Jan, Jan, Jan's, general. Jan's a high sticker. <laughs> there's low maintenance, there's high maintenance, and then there's Jan. Jan comes in hot. A lot. Yeah. You don't like it? <laughs> take it <laughs> yeah. yeah she is definitely high energy <laughs> and we love her to pieces oh yes Hello and welcome back to Hindsight is 5050. I'm your host, Jay Rod, with my co-host, D-O-R-G, old retired guy. Dad, how you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, belated Happy New Year to everybody. I hope everybody yeah, stayed safe. Did you guys have any, you know, extravagant plans or do anything special on New Year's? You know, we didn't we didn't do anything that crazy. Um but definitely not, you know, going out like we used to and party, and obviously that that changes when you've got little kids at home. Uh, but one of the cool things we did is um, PBS Kids has a New Year's countdown that you can okay. turn on at any time. And it's a little eight-minute animated episode uh, with a New Year's countdown at the end. So Melissa actually worked New Year's Eve night. And um, obviously the kids would be in bed before New Year's. So before she left... We put on our little hats and had kazoos, and we did uh, the little eight-minute countdown, and the kids got to say Happy New Year. Well, JJ did. Jamie just kind of like, oh. But, <laughs> but, um, da, da, da. Yeah, that's exactly. His, that's his famous call. <laughs> da, da, da. Yeah. It's Dada, Mama, Papa, and Ba, Ba, Ba. Ba, Ba, Ba. <laughs> so... Um, we got to do that with them, which was pretty cool, and obviously that made Melissa pretty happy. So other than oh, that, yeah. I just I just made sure to call her, you know, right before uh, the clock at midnight, and wish her a happy New Year. I was on the phone with her for her little work party countdown. Um, oh, okay. But other than that, we didn't do a whole lot. What about you guys? Well, you know, I mean, we're we're older now. You know, we're. I don't want to speak for your mom and say she's well into her 60s, but I am. I'm closer to 70 than 60. <laughs> your mom's not yet. But, yeah, you know, treading we're just, lightly. <laughs> we're, we're, well, dude, I'm moonwalking. These eggshells really hurt my feet. <laughs> yeah, I'm moonwalking my way out of that. Um, <laughs> uh, this but, is definitely not where I park my car. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it, there's... It, no, we didn't do anything special. In fact, we joked about it the night before uh, because I, you know, I don't drink like I used to drink alcohol. And so there's lots of times I don't even have anything to drink in the house. Nothing. And and your your mom will drink beers now and then, but not a lot, you know. And uh, we were joking the night before New Year's Eve. It was like, well... Are we going to need anything to toast? And I go, well, yeah, if we toast at 8 o'clock. 
<laughs> sparkling no. grape juice <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but yeah we so we did that we did we told we did toast the new year's eve about eight o'clock uh ironically which is normally the opposite she was in bed at midnight and i wasn't so i was up with uh, max we've been the dog he's been keeping us up you know he's he's going through a rough time and he's obviously he's older now and he's over 14 and so we've been staying up a lot with him but i was awake uh in fact i was watching the college football playoff on you know new year's eve so and that didn't get over the ohio state georgia game didn't get over uh until right at midnight i think or maybe even a little bit after but yeah we didn't it, this the weirdest thing about New Year's Eve that I, or New Year's this year that I noticed and I didn't ask, but when I would when we would be out and about, whether it was shopping or going to the post office or whatever, coming up to New Year's Eve, almost everyone I talked to, even young people, even very young people, they weren't going out partying. It was like no. You know, we might I might celebrate at home. I'll probably just, you know, <laughs> I'll probably sleep through it. And it was, there were so many people, it just seemed to jump out at me this year that weren't going to go do anything I think, special, you know, on New Year's. And we used to, when we were younger, we I went, think COVID killed a lot of that, though. It seems like it had, I've wondered if that is a, you know, COVID hangover, but it sure seems like it has, and it, and it well, may got- be. It may be a permanent impact, or it may be a long-term impact. Uh, you know, my I old think boss. It'll be long-term. I think it'll ev- people eventually, in my opinion, have to start going outside. Jacob and I were kind of talking about this the other day, and it's like, excuse me, each generation has their own sayings and phrases, and some of them mean the same things, and other ones don't. But like, you know. For most of us, at some point, whether it's taking the dogs out, going for a walk, whatever, we get outside. But now, if for the younger generations that are so computer, cell phone, and media driven, um, one of their expressions is, I got to go touch grass. And it literally became an expression because they don't go outside <laughs> ever. Like, that's... It's like I've got to put the controller down or put the remote down and go touch grass is what you'll hear young kids say. And and it's just kind of funny to me because it's like we already were headed into an introverted society because even if you want to share your opinion, you can be an internet warrior now so you don't have to have the confrontation in person. People can do things online. You can have meetings over you know, Zoom or Skype or whatever you have to have. So everything was becoming much more secluded anyways. And then COVID really just put the stranglehold on that. And we've got people who weren't as motivated to go outside anymore and go see the world. And then they were given a, a, not an opportunity, but, but almost forced to where they couldn't. And they said, yeah, I'm good with that. No worries. And and so now I feel like we're kind of in the hangover effect where you've got a couple generations that are used to being indoors, and then they were told they couldn't go outdoors. And so now that we've 
allowed people to go back outside. They're just kind of like, eh, I didn't need it for a couple of years anyways. Why go now? Well, you know, I, the social my, effect my is- old boss, my last boss, the place I worked, retired from, and I worked there for 25 years, he had traveled the world. He'd been around, and he'd worked around the world. And he was, he had spent a lot of time in Japan, actually. And they went through a bad virus. I can't remember if it was in the 80s or 90s, but it was a bad situation. And, you know, Japan is is pretty crowded, obviously. There's a lot of people there. Um, and being an island and everything. And he he said that it there was a 10-year it had a dramatic effect on uh, society. On you know, he in fact he said it was a masked society for ten years. After that, now, I don't know that. I've never been to Japan. I trust that you know what he told me was accurate. But I agree with you. There was something that I wondered about that. If if that if there really this is the this is part of that hangover. Or, you know, and maybe it's not permanent, but it certainly is a long term. I think it's cyclical. It's one of those, whether it's a trend or if you just want to say history in general repeats itself. You know, us heading into with these more, and and I'm part of one of these generations, the more introverted, tech savvy, uh, or almost tech obsessed generations. Yeah. that that led into COVID perfectly to create like the perfect storm for people wanting to stay indoors. But eventually a, a generation or two from now, you're going to get the, the outcast kids who well now it's cool to be outdoors and to not use a cell phone all the time. And then everyone's going to start. And, and I feel like we go through cycles like that anyways. So because everyone will be on a computer, everyone will be on a phone, then, you know, the next cool kid's going to be outside throwing a ball. And it's like, well, then everybody's going to do that with Well, that's fair. And And, and and I think that's how it's going to go. You're right. Things do change like that. But, you know, my New Year's, I was watching the football games. Obviously, I was really disappointed in the Michigan game. Um, But because I've complained about this before, about other teams, and I will not do this. I give full credit to TCU. I thought they had a hell of a game plan. I thought they had some hellacious athletes on that team. And um, whether we were overconfident, whether we sleepwalked, whatever you want to call it, I give TCU credit because after a point in that game, um, you know, you could tell TCU's confidence was really building. And I think we started to kind of press and, you know, you drive the ball down the field on your first possession, you end up with fourth and goal at the two and you call some double reverse and don't, and get no points after you've had a nice drive and you get no points. Then later on you get two pick sixes and the, the fumble, (laughs) no, not the fumble, the catch that was ruled a touchdown on the field that then they they spotted it at the half-yard line, which I'm a Michigan fan. I thought it was a terrible call. The announcers did too, by the way. 
or Roman Wilson. Matt Austin. Well, I mean, yeah. you had everyone disagree with multiple blatant calls. So, the, the but then they, the, my point is they, after that, after it's a bad call, you still got for, first and goal, you know, a foot away and we fumble and they recover. So we got, you know, TCU did what they needed to do. And, and you know what? It's like, I remember years ago, there was a, a sports writer named Dick Shap. And I, you may have even seen him. His son, Jeremy Schapp, is on ESPN now. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Dick Schapp, when um, he, he was a voter for the Heisman Trophy, and when Jim Brown didn't win the Heisman Trophy, he quit voting for the Heisman. He said, anybody that wouldn't vote for Jim Brown in that year doesn't know what they're talking about. And he wouldn't vote. And he was a voter for the rest of his life. You know, you don't give up that privilege unless you do something egregious. And he never did, but he wouldn't vote because he said it's a sham. And it's like anybody who doesn't vote for Sonny Dykes for Coach of the Year, to me, is kidding themselves because that guy, I will go to my grave thinking we had a better team. But they beat us on that day, and we made our share of mistakes, but they had a lot to do with a lot of the rest of it, and they took advantage of our mistakes. So, you know, I never want to – I was really disappointed. I thought we were the better team, but you know what? They won, and we didn't get cheated. And I and mean, it, I think we did sucks. get cheated. I will, I'll disagree with that to my grave. We did get cheated. Now, did Michigan show up enough to win the game? No, but – I mean, that most like it's all over. It's not just social media. It's in, it's in articles everywhere. It's like the fact that there, you know, the, on all, our center judges from Ohio State, and the fact that there were several blatant a targeting call that, and all you you just have to call the rule that's been in place for years now, and you wave it off to end the game. I, not only does that give them a first down, that gives them that gives Michigan an opportunity to score. There was, I mean, there was a bunch of blatant calls that were f- horrific, and I flags being picked up. It was awful. It seemed like a poorly but, officiated game, but I think it, it, it kind of went that. I don't think Michigan played well enough to win, but yeah. that is the problem that I have with the playoff. Is like, yeah, Michigan throttled. Ohio State. I think on both of their best days, Georgia throttles Michigan because they're that much better. And Ohio State almost beat Georgia. And it's because there's this fucking layoff that's just pure garbage. They're not playing football for a month. And so you got TCU playing Michigan. There's 100 points scored in the game. And the same thing with Georgia and Ohio State. It's like... Nobody could play defense because they haven't played football in a month. Well, you know, it's just, it, it, and I, I mean, mean that, that happened with point. TCU. Like the the thing that to me almost proves proves it is that Michigan all season long slept in the first half, and then they dominated the second half of the game all season. I think it's the 
It might be that they may have changed the stat to the second half. I know for a long time it was in the third quarter, but they were outscoring their opponents like 206 to 16. I mean, they were just, they were that train, that freight train that you cannot slow down. It's just closing on you, right? And so all year, Michigan fans had sat here and worried like, okay, how we cannot get off to a fast start. So when do we run into the team? that gets so far ahead we can't catch up. And well, that's what happened against TCU because our defense wasn't ready to play football because they hadn't played in a month. I mean, Michigan scored, what, six points in the first half and ended up with 45 points in the game? That's yeah, insane. They couldn't stop the freight train. We just ran out of time, and we got gypped at the end of the game. <laughs> well, I just think that we made enough mistakes that we didn't that, – that's why I'm saying we didn't get cheated is that we made enough mistakes. Like two pick sixes and a fumble on first and goal, even though that shouldn't have been, that would, that that fumble on first and goal should have never happened because it should have been a touchdown. And everybody knows that. I just thought we made enough mistakes that, you know, I was, dis- I was, I was disappointed when I watched Ohio State play Georgia. You know, you and I had talked in, we we agreed that Ohio State's was super talented, but I think the you know th- this supports the point you just made. You know Georgia, Michigan had a really good defense going into that game and it didn't show. Georgia had an even better defense going into that game and it didn't show either. Right. But we both thought that Ohio State could, like maybe even lead in the first half you know, that would make it a game for a half. Well, they made it for a hell of a lot more than that. And I tell you what, C.J. Stroud, Saturday night, made a lot of money. He's not a scrambler, but that dude is an accurate passer. And he has been. And we've said that on this podcast. That guy made a lot of money Saturday I just wonder how much of it was, like... Was he that good that night, or was he playing against a defense that was a shadow and not really there? That, that's what I wonder because, and obviously that's what we're talking about, but with, with Georgia, think of their really good games. Even when they played Kentucky, wasn't the final like 16-6 to 6 or something like that? It if you're going to play Georgia in a tight game, you're going to try and keep the total under 28 points. And that's what right. anyone who plays tight with them does. Well, I I think even with Georgia, it showed, I mean, Ohio State's defense isn't horrific. They're not great compared to prior seasons, but they're not horrific. And Georgia put up a shit ton of points, and they haven't been doing that all season long. They've actually no. had a lower uh point toward uh scoring total this year than they have in the past couple and it's um both of these games were astronomical in points and it's just like is is that what we're we want this to look like the air raid nfl i don't understand i don't have the science to fight you i mean what you're saying makes sense um i and i'm not i i don't have data to counter what you're saying i mean it's you know it makes sense. I, I I don't necessarily look at it that way. I keep going back like to the Michigan game. We made a lot of mistakes in that game that were unforced. And but uh, you're right. The 
Georgia isn't accustomed to giving up that kind of points, no matter how good a team they're playing. And C.J. Stroud, he made a lot of money, and he had a really good game. And he's going to be a high draft pick. I hope the Lions don't take him. But, number for one, me, I don't think we need him right now. But for, for me, he made a lot Michigan of money. Game, they... Okay, they made enough mistakes to the point where if even with the bad calls and even with the point total scored, if they don't make those mistakes, they win the game. And and so that's why I'm not as upset because it's like it was still self-inflicted. Right. However, if they make seven more turnovers but they don't have a month off, I think Michigan still kicks the shit out of TCU. It could I mean, happen. their defense was that good, and we looked non-existent. I mean, it was absolutely disgusting. It, it was very disappointing. Your now, defense hasn't been allowed to hit people. That, like, how many well, times do we say, oh, yeah, they got to play spring football, and then you come to game one, and it, you hope you don't have a big opponent. Because the first game of the season, you know, is going to be sloppy and filled with errors. This is the same thing. Yeah, they've been practicing for a month, but they haven't been playing football for a month. You brought up a couple of things that I text you, all you guys. Well, I think I text you and Jacob about the other day about replay. And, and, and I've had it with frickin' replay. I've just had it. You know, it's like you said, we can, you know, and there's a bunch of calls. There was a call where they called roughing the passer on TCU. There's no way. Yeah, where he put his hands, like, on his chest and then let him go. that was just, you're right, that was a poorly officiated game in a big setting. So it's really important that you get it right or at least do your best. And it really, it was a poorly officiated game from beginning to end. But I sent you, I, I would challenge people in, in general, any of our listeners that are sports fans, because I, I'll, I'll live to be corrected on this. But in my opinion, on the replay rule in college, I like the fact that as somebody in the booth is looking at it, they can buzz the official and say, hey, we need to look at this. Well, okay, here's my proposal for that rule. Once you buzz that official and you say that, or if the official asks the booth for help. Once the you, timeout's made. You, right? got one, you got one minute. Yeah, once and the official that, timeout's made, one minute. I completely agree. And if you, have, if you can't make a determination where what their term is indisputable video evidence, in one minute, the call on the field stands. That's it. Let's move on. Then... What was the other rule? We're, oh, the targeting thing. I've had it with targeting. Everybody's I, got a different interpretation of targeting. Well, let's leave targeting there, but let's change the rule. Targeting's a personal foul. You want to call it as a late hit. You want to call it as a dirty hit, a headbutt on the sidelines. They're all personal fouls. You know, even taking your helmet off on the field and celebrating is a personal foul. It's on that one. I completely get where you're coming from on the, the the personal foul instead of like the ejection and if it's in the second half you miss half the next game and all that. Um, I'm just I'm just my saying. My fear Jared. of that would be 
the the simple fact of you could tell a player to go knock someone out and only take 15 yards but take the other best player off the team. And well, so I think and- there's I think there's like a hybrid to what's happening now and what you're suggesting where you remember how a face mask um I think it was a face mask, whether it was like egregious or just a regular one was two different right, penalties. Right. And the same thing with pass interference before they changed it to like defensive holding or whatever. There was two same different ones. Same way with roughing the kicker. It's, right. It's, it's, so yeah. I do think there's room for that. And this is normally I don't like putting an official's judgment in there. I like just having a black and white rule. But in this case, I think you go, okay. You, we said there's forcible contact to the head or neck area. That's a personal foul. That's 15 yards. However, if you put your head down, crown of the helmet, you launch and make forcible contact to the head or neck area. So your head is down. You are jumping off the ground and leading with the top of your helmet. That's an ejection. Well, and it, okay, so but you have then, to all three. But you're, you know, just to be clear, what my proposal is just. You know, you heard it, but I'm, I would challenge our listeners, if sports, you know, football fans, please tell me if this, if you think I'm out to lunch on this, please tell me. Targeting is just a personal foul. You're allowed two in a game of any kind of personal fouls. Any kind of unsportsmanlike conduct's a personal foul. So any of those are personal fouls. You're allowed two in a game. If you get a second one, whether it be for taking off your helmet, whether it be for taunting, whatever it is, you're out for that game. You're not out for another game. You're out for that game. But there's too much of this, like you said, and I know the play you're talking about, the hit on Loveland. It's like that was targeting. That's everything that targeting is that you hear people say when they read the rule. That was it. And... Didn't they call it and then waved it off? Yeah, they they stopped the game to review to see if it was. The flag wasn't originally thrown. Okay. okay. There was a buzz down, which means someone else saw it. Right. <laughs> and then they told the officials, and then the officials were like, no, sorry. But but again, my my thing is let's try to take would, like some of this, you know, you know, individual judgment and again it's so punitive because if on a play that they call it targeting and the targeting is supported and i even argue with some of those sometimes i don't think it's targeting at all and this has got nothing to do with michigan that's why i think some of them gotta have like if you had the hybrid right right now if you do any of those three things if you launch if you lead with the crown of your helmet or do too much forcible contact the head or neck area, they call targeting. It doesn't have to be all three. I saw. So I can't. That's where I I would think that you would, if it is all three and it looks malicious. And, and I think that's what the, the intent would have to be malicious. If it looks like someone's trying to hurt someone, that's an ejection. Otherwise, just, I agree with the 15 yards in the personal yeah, file. And, and, and all I'm saying is, and, and let's, if nothing else, let's try it. I think that's better than what we have. And like you said, if you need to refine it, 
because right now I don't even I'm not even sure they know what it is because you see it called so many different ways. I was watching a bull game and I watched so damn many I'm not even going to remember which game it was. But the quarterback was running. And I mean, he was a runner. He did not slide. He lowered his shoulder. The defensive player lowered his shoulder. And they called targeting. It was in the Kansas bowl game. It was in the Kansas bowl game. And it made that game go into overtime because it was on a two-point conversion. Kansas's quarterback went to run in the two-point conversion. I remember that. Yep. He lowered his shoulder and the D-back lowered his shoulder. They didn't even they they their helmets might have touched, but they grazed. They didn't, it wasn't head to head. And they called targeting and they reviewed it and held it up. Now, Kansas, it went to overtime and Kansas lost the game. That was Arkansas. Yeah, but it was crazy. It went to like triple overtime, I think. But again, that game should have never gone to overtime. That wasn't targeting. That brings up three issues that I have with the targeting rule. One, that they call it when people's face masks collide. That's gonna happen. If you're proper form tackling and someone dips down, your face masks are going to hit. I mean, that's that's why you, you can't wear react them. fast enough. But the the other parts I have with it, it's like, it, and there's two major parts. One, if a player is being tackled, again, unless you maliciously launch, there should not even be the option of of having targeting. And that's what happened in the Michigan TCU game. It's like that. I don't think that kid was trying to take off Loveland's head, but he was in the middle of getting tackled, in which his elevation changed. And it's like you're asking these people flying around to make a decision that fucking quick that, by the way, their body made that decision two steps ago. Right. And, and on top of that, the biggest and the far most egregious violation in my opinion uh, of the rule of targeting you allow offensive players to target exactly you they allow do. them to launch and to put their head down right but a defender's got to keep their head up and get run over that that's literally breaking leverage like you you're gonna lose that battle and get run over and in a game where it, it comes down to inches. It comes down to is it fourth and one or did they get the first down? You can't afford to let someone put their head down against you and you can't put their head down against them because they'll run your ass over. It's like you we've got to get offensive players to get penalized for this if we're going to call it. If we're trying to make protection for concussions, it's like defenders should not be catching the crown of the helmet under their chin because they have a rule that the offense doesn't have. This is just like when um, running backs used to face mask all the time right. with their stiff arm. Yeah, It's like you can't, you know, defensive hands to the face, but he can stiff arm me in the head. Right. No, I, 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 just, I just think there's something to be done about it. If people have ideas about a better way, but we have to change this. This is ridiculous. And, and, and again, targeting is also part of, replay is part of targeting. And again, replay is messed up. So let's try, let, I'm not saying that that fixes it end all be all. Let's do something to try and improve it because it's aggravating. And well, it's games not, are getting so damn long with replay now. 
dude, it's aggravating. Like on games that I have no vested interest in just watching it happen. Like that Kansas, Arkansas game. I don't care who wins that game. I, I thought it was, I, I like both teams and I, I'm glad that they've both con- that they both made a bowl game. I am because Arkansas was down. Kansas has been down and it was neat to see him come back, but I have no veteran vested interest in that. But to see that call that sends that game to overtime. That's well, ridiculous. And another problem I have, and, and I don't know what the solution is. Yeah, I don't. Maybe the rewards got to be more, but it, like maybe you pay refs more money. I, I don't know what it is, but I, boy, I feel like every freaking rule we make is now to protect them. Just like how in the NFL, it seems like every rule is meant to baby the QB. It, it's like. Oh, we can pick up flags. We we've got review. We've got people in New York who'll who'll call us and take a look at it. We've got this. We've got that. We can take as long as we want and replay. It, uh, you know, they they're getting rid of the judgment calls, which I feel are good. But it almost appears that in some of the biggest moments, the judgment calls are there, but in a way which you can't be mad at the refs. I just I really feel like <clears throat> we take a lot of the onus off of them. And it's like, by no means is it an easy job. That's got to be one of the harder jobs that there is, not only to be impartial, but so many things are bang-bang plays happening like crazy. But there's got to be some sort of accountability here where we can't take all day. You can't call a rule one way and then call it the other in the second half or against a different team or whatever the case is. And and the the same thing with replay – I don't know if you've noticed this, but I feel like I have. You'll have some games where all they do is they say, if I can't confirm it, it stands. And then you have other games where they say, well, if it's maybe, I'll change the call. Well, here's, I'm going to, this is going to make you chuckle. I, I always send out this text and I've sent it out to you guys multiple times. Matt Austin, who's the ESPN guy, <laughs> I jokingly say this because it's true, but I, I bring it up as a semi-claim to fame. I played beer league softball with Matt Austin, okay? Yeah. You know that. Yeah. But it's like a running joke because Jacob says, you always tell us that. And I go, well, yeah, I just like saying it. <laughs> but to his credit, Matt Austin comes out and says, no, I wouldn't, no. That's not targeting, or that's a touchdown. I mean, he'll say it. Dean Blandino is worthless on NFL games, and he does some college games too. And he used to be that. Director. He just delays until they have an answer. Oh yeah, and he's he straddles the fence. Pereira does most of the time, and Pereira was a good official, but he's trying to protect his brethren, and you can tell it. But he even will say, you know, I I don't agree with that. Well, Matt, he comes out and says it. It's like, no, that's a that's a touchdown. I wouldn't agree with that call. And you know, but Dean Blandino is worthless. It's like, as far as in that capacity, it's like, come on, man. It's like, you you know, we're we're we have you employed to create an opinion. Well, right. Like you said, don't delay it until they make the call and then support the call they made. Like, put your neck out there. It's like you're not, 
I, I, I just, that aggravates me. And again, it's part of the whole replay process that just singes me. But, but yeah, I mean, I give Matt credit. It's like, man, man will put it out there. It's like, and no. And he'll say, like, he'll go, no, that, that was not a fumble. I would not call that a fumble. And then the officials call the fumble and he'll go, I really don't agree with that call. I mean, like, he's right. just honest. <laughs> right. And and this isn't some like hometown. I mean, he was an SEC ref, not even a big. Dude, general, he did SEC title games more than one year. I think, I think he's done the national championship game. I mean, he was a very good official. He's retired now. That was another thing that you and I had talked about, or, or at least in text we had talked about it. I, I think there's a conflict of interest when you have opposing conference referees in in certain big games like uh this was what big 10 versus big 12 and yeah. you have yeah. an sec ref uh officiating crew and it, you know there there can be an argument made that they would have something to gain assuming that georgia comes back into full swing georgia would rather play tcu than michigan if let's say all three teams are having their best day. Georgia would rather play TCU than Michigan in the national championship. That's my opinion, but they are the easier opponent uh, according to the vast majority of people. Um, so it, there is something for them to gain in that. And, and I just, you know, you talked about, you know, potentially not having conference refs and it's just like, there's just a, a league of refs. Um, that to me is one of the solutions that could work, but it's just you can't have opposing conference officiating crews that stand something to gain officiate a game with big implications. I don't, that wasn't right to me. I, you know, it, and it happens all the time. They What they do is that, and you know this, is that they never have an officiating crew from one conference officiate that game where other conferences, you know, where their team's playing or, or a team right. from their league is playing. So like you said, if it's Big 12, Big 10, then they'll have SEC or Sun Belt or ACC or somebody else. But I agree with you. There is a and potential for that. So many things like pass interference and holding, they are not called the same in the Big 10 versus the SEC or the ACC. I mean, they're like you can be a lot more physical in certain conferences than you can in others. So when you get into a bowl game setting, I do think that's an issue because you might, you know, your receivers might get held down because they're not used to the defense getting away with it, or your defenders might get a call uh, against them all the time because they're used to being able to be that physical. I mean, I, I would probably say, I think it's fair and safe to say, the SEC's secondaries are by far the most physical and allowed to get away with the most. And that's okay. I think it makes for great football. But if you come from, let's say, the ACC, where things are much more touch and go, then uh, you're going to struggle in, in a bowl game with an SEC officiating crew if the other team's holding your receivers down. So I, there, there's an issue there, in my opinion. But um, I, I know we've kind of been on this for a minute. 
Um, we, we glossed over, you know, Georgia beating Ohio State. So now Georgia's going to go play TCU in the national championship game. But my opinion is if Georgia woke up, if they're ready to play real football now because they woke up from the scare from Ohio State, they are going to absolutely dominate TCU. However, excuse me, if they're not in the same swing of things that they were throughout the season, TCU has a very prolific offense. I they could jump up and bite them. What what are your thoughts? I I real I think Georgia will beat them. I I, I do. I think it's exactly what you said. I think it was. Uh... I think Georgia's a better team. I think it'll be a wake-up call. I think Georgia's a way more physical team. But I thought Michigan was too. And I'm and and I don't want to right. said it a couple times. You don't need to circle again. the train. <laughs> I don't want to take anything away from TCU. No, they, that was they, that's they my biggest thing to, and, to any TCU fans out there. It's like I, I am not happy Michigan lost. I do have my issues with the layoff, but all things set aside. Both teams had a month to prepare for that game, and TCU showed up. They showed up, and they won. That, yeah. That's and, bottom and line. I, I, I think Ohio State, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's, in fact, I would be surprised if it's not double digits. I'm not saying TCU can't win. Well, if it's not double digits that Georgia beats TCU, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I you know, I'm not saying they can't. The Horn Frogs can't win because they can, and they're a really good team. You don't get to be one of the final four unless you're a really good team. And, you know, but my opinion is I, I think you're right. I think Georgia will snap out of it. And I think that they, they'll win that game. Oh, I'm, not, and, I'm not saying going away, but I, they'll win by double digits. And I've said it before and I'll say it again because it happened even though Ohio State's offense was on a roll. It happened against Ohio State. Someone on Georgia's defense <laughs> is, gonna is kill going to kill someone. Like well. you're going to watch a soul leave a body. Uh, and I mean, they did it against Ohio State. They've done it all season long. And it's like with the amount of speed that TCU's got. If one of those safeties or that big corner end up laying the lumber, God forbid you run into a linebacker, you you might actually get cut in half on TV. But somebody is, I mean, there will at least be a timeout, if not a stretcher. I mean, that team is freaking dangerous. And not in a bad way, not in a unsportsmanlike way they're just they're that athletic they're that strong they're that fast um what one of the things i we're, we're running up on about 45 minutes here uh, so i just kind of wanted to get things moving a little bit but one of the remaining things about college football that we had as a topic was the transfer portal um i have my own opinions on it being a problem but I, I wasn't sure what you wanted to talk about. Are there big names moving, or, well, or what let's, was your idea? Let's just, let's just gloss over it for the sake of time. But because we can talk about this more, along with the NIL, we can talk about this more at a later date. Because the portal doesn't close until I believe January eighteenth. Okay. And so we'll have another, at least one more podcast that we can talk about this even before it ends, and we could talk about it afterwards. The thing I wanted to mention is that, you know, this is where a lot of times the rich can get richer. 
I mean, Michigan, for example, now the, it's a team, whether you're a fan or not, they've won two Big Ten titles in a row. They've gone to two college football playoffs in a row. They haven't won anything in the playoffs yet, but they've gone to two in a row. They signed seven guys already in the transfer portal. Now, anybody that's left has been, I don't want to say insignificant. That's not fair. Anybody that's left Michigan in the transfer portal, at least to date, has not been like a starter or even somebody that saw a lot of playing time. They brought in seven guys already. They brought in a kid from Nebraska who played as a true freshman and was good, and he was a really top recruit. And he played this year at Nebraska, so he's played in the Big Ten. They got him. His name's Ernest Hausman. They brought in a tight end from Indiana, big guy. And he was a five-star recruit. His name's AJ, I'm so AJ in Barner. On that. You're what? I'm so in on that. The, the Indiana, I, I mean, they they just have good tight ends. And it's just like when they have a good back, they have a really good back. There's yeah, just something it, about and the it's recruiting like, that works out well. We got three um, linemen that were starters. Um, you know... And not all three of them, it depends on who declares for the draft from Michigan's O-line, which won the Joe Moore Award for the second year in a row. Whether they deserve it or not, they did. And so we got three linemen that started at big-time programs. We got an edge rusher from Coastal Carolina who was at Coastal Carolina. He's not getting any real pub there compared to a a bigger school in a bigger spotlight. His name's Josiah Stewart. And one of the keys, the last guy that I just want to mention real quick, and we can move on from this subject. Like you said, we'll have more time to talk about this and the NIL. But they got Jack Tuttle. Now, Jack Tuttle, I don't know if people even know his name. He started games in Indiana. He's played in the Big Ten. He hasn't been great, but Indiana hasn't been great when he's played. You know, and it's not just because of him. We were going to lose our top backup, this kid named Alan Bowman. Now, he hasn't left in the portal yet, but the rumor is, is that he's going to. So they, And he was our top backup QB. All of a sudden, you sign this guy. You bring him in. He's played in the Big Ten. What better backup? And he doesn't, he's not J.J., he's not even Cade McNamara. But, Mm. boy, it's nice to have a backup with experience. And he's one of those guys that if he can get into the right system, I mean, as much as I love J.J. McCarthy, he can can command a lot better pocket presence with Michigan's typo line. You... he was. I, he I would was agree. Voted. He's not on JJ's level as far as athleticism, but you might see a dark horse come out. <laughs> I mean, when he's got real weapons to play with, it it just makes you. I mean, these are guys, and you can go out and pick the fruit that you need strictly based on need. It's like we're losing a good backup, or we likely will. We and they're proven on the guy. college level. Yeah. And, and he's not, already played in the Big Ten. It's like this is a nice and and the good teams, the top end teams, 
are taking advantage. This year, Alabama's best back was a transfer from Georgia Tech, the Gibbs kid, and he was their best back. And it's like, this is what good teams do. But anyway, we'll have more time to talk about that and uh, you know, because there's a lot to talk about that in the in the NIL thing that is just continuing to evolve. But I know, you know, you had on the list to talk about the Lions a little bit. They go yes. to Lambeau. The game is flexed to Sunday night in Lambeau. It'll probably be colder than hell. Now, if the Packers win, they're in. The Lions will know by game they have, time. The Seahawks have to lose. Yes, and the Seahawks play earlier. Their game will be over by the time the Lions start. So if the Seahawks win, the Lions are out. But they still have a chance to finish over 500. And, you know, based on these little snarky comments Aaron Rodgers has made, I'm sure that's up on the bulletin board all over. I'm sure Dan Campbell is that kind of a guy. And it's like, I wouldn't, I just think we're going to give a really good effort. I love it because Campbell, who's been very open to the media. Yeah. Uh, didn't take an interview with the Pat McAfee show. Now, I know you don't like that show, but I I do. Um, But they are very buddy-buddy with Aaron Rodgers. They have like Aaron Rodgers Tuesday. He's on their their own. You know, Pat McAfee got a little crybaby about him declining it. Um, But then he got called out for it. He ended up making an apology and, and called himself a crybaby. He's like, I understand people are busy and they have better things to do. I was just upset in the moment and I shouldn't have been as unprofessional or whatever the heck he said, but it was something along those lines. But I just really like the fact that it's like, yeah, look, man, I, I've come on your show before. I don't hold anything against you, but you're also really good friends with who's my mortal enemy right now. So we're not going to be talking. I like that stance. I do too. I, I think it's a great stance, but uh, before we get out of the, or, you know, I, I know you were talking about the Packers. They kicked the shit out of the Bears. Now, I know the Bears suck, but boy, was I, I happy to see that that uh, line at the end of the game. And, and they did show up. They did come back and recover and play like the team that we thought they are supposed to be. Um, I, I also thought it was a great job of adjustments because Justin Fields ran the uh, read option offense, walked right down the field, and Bears go up seven nothing. Well, the end of the game, it was forty-one to ten. The Lions. I mean, that was awesome. The Houston kid had three sacks. Yeah, he did. Hutchinson. Hutchinson had too. He had a half. That, he had a half sack, a pick, and a fumble recovery. That pick was awesome because he jumped and he didn't need to. That ball almost hit him in the belly button because he <laughs> jumped. But but it was just I, I loved watching that because that Houston kid. Everyone's been excited and the numbers are looking great. But you when you're really watching the film of it, it's like the backside where Hutchinson is, is closing. And so that QB is shifting over into Houston. And it's like, that is a team defense right there. That looks good. When the fumble is on Mm. the ground and all 11 dudes are diving and Hutch comes out with it, that just looks, you can tell these guys want to play football. And that's what I feel is 
missing from most NFL games. It's almost like a prima donna league. And I know mm-hmm. I'm generalizing, but when you see this like reinvigorated fire, like they're playing college football again, it it is fun to watch. And by the way, when Swift decides to play, oh my holy God. fuck is he dangerous? He's electric. <laughs> It's it's just but come on man your best ability screen. is availability and I like, I completely agree it's and, just, and he's just like a he's like a hot chick that doesn't put out but but <laughs> Williams playing as well and as consistent as he does is forcing Swift to put out and so I, I kind of like that combo because William, Jamal's good enough. To move Swift out of the lineup if Swift doesn't play. I'm telling you, buddy. And so Swift has to play at least somewhat. And when he does, holy. Uh, Dude, we talked about this when he was at Georgia. I love him. But I also said when they drafted him, that's why he went in the second round. It's like it's because he's a soft tissue injury waiting to happen. And his coaches have even said that it's not just, you know, like – it's not that he's injury prone and he's never healthy. It's that he claims to be injured. It's like a bruise stops him from playing on Sunday. Well, I mean, his coaches have given him shit. Oh, about Deuce Staley's called him, him out more than once, and Deuce yeah. Staley is and a hard it. ass. Yeah. Well, he's he also ran ass. like a hard ass too. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, he's um, and he was a tough player. Deuce Staley was. I mean, yeah. I remember when he played. He's in the last year of his deal. Next year, Swift will be. And this is the unfortunate part. I was talking with Alan about this yesterday because we're he's he's on the same page as us. When you watch him play, I mean, when he's right, even the announcers, the the announcers are just going like John Vilma is announcing the game, and he's going nuts over Swift, and it's easy to go nuts, but. Unfortunately, he only does that for about a third of the season or less. And it's like we've said it before. He's Rasheed Wallace, but in football. When when his, I tell you what, the Lions are going to draft a running back this year. There's a lot of good ones. And they're not going to draft a high pick, but they're going to get somebody in round three or four that'll make that team. I'm not saying he's going to displace Swift, but if Swift has the kind of year that he's had for the first three, where he shows these flashes of electricity, and then he's injured, and then it takes him forever to get back, and then he shows the electricity again, that ain't going to be enough. Next year will be his last year with the Lions. Because you can't, even even with shared duty, which they try to do, like you said, with Jamal Williams, who I like, and they need to resign him. By the way, this is the last year of his deal, and I think they will resign him. Yeah, I but, think they will too. But he fits our culture real well. He does. He does. It, that's a great point, and I think that's really how the Lions draft is like the that cultural aspect is is, is as or more important than all the physical tools. I really yeah. do think that. Well, what I've but, noticed this year is that. And this team has some swag for sure, but it's mostly guys. It's like, now that guy can be humbled and he works real hard. The guy who walks on the field with swagger before proving himself can get the fuck off my team. And that's 
how I feel like they play. That's how I feel they coach. And I, I feel like it shows. It's like we don't we don't want somebody who's just sitting there jawing before, you know, the, the games even started. Well, if we hadn't gone into Carolina and taken it dry into the bag line, <laughs> yeah, I know that hurts. <laughs> we'd be winning in. We wouldn't be having to worry about what Seattle does, but that's done and over with. But right. yeah, it, it's, it, I get it. And, and it's still uh, an exciting time to be a Lions fan compared to most well, years. Again, sh- we've had shit for so long. This is a good thing. I'm with you. Hey, we don't have we don't have Owen sixteen. We don't have Orlovsky rolling out of the pocket into the back of the end zone for a safety. I mean, you know, this is a pretty good year. Well, playoffs or not, with you. dude. We trust had a me. six game win streak. When's the last time we we saw try, that? Try being sixty seven. I've been know. watching this since I was five years old. <clears throat> so. Last thing in football news before before we move it on, um, I know you wanted to talk about the movie The Drop, but before we get there, um, the, during the Bills game, Damar Hamlin, who uh, is a defensive back for the Bills, yep, out he, of pit. he collapsed on the field and was taken to the hospital. Now, this was, um, to be honest, not as vicious a hit as we've seen in, in a lot of games. Um, but, but the crazy thing is that his, his heart stopped on the field and they had one of the things you don't see very often in football games. They had to give him CPR on the field before he could leave, which resulted in a pause of the game and eventually a suspension of the game. Um, so it, it was pretty wild to see a lot of people were shaken up. He, from my understanding, he's still in, uh, critical condition but he's somewhat stabilized at the hospital uh i do believe at one point they had him on a ventilator but i'm not 100 percent sure this is just from what i've read um but but the big speculation is the what they believe caused his heart to stop is that it wasn't a pre-existing condition it wasn't anything vaccine related or anything like that um but it, it's a an anomaly that happens I guess when everything lines up perfectly, and I'm going to look up the name of this real quick because I don't want to get it wrong. Um, but essentially, you have to be hit with the exact amount of force or a, at least a uh, minimal, like there's a threshold of how much force must you must be hit with. You have to be hit in exactly the right position over the center of your heart, and it has to be within a certain amount of milliseconds of the exact time let me see if i can find this answer just real quick. well i i heard that and from his uncle his uncle did an interview last night and i think it was on cnn it's probably everywhere but i heard that they actually had to revive him again at the hospital once he, they had to start his heart again yeah but, i yeah. thought i had read that but i wasn't 100 percent sure so the again the it's just phenomenon they call it a, a medical phenomenon, and what it's called is commodio cortis. So for those of you who haven't taken kind of a deep dive into this, during the heartbeat, there are, like the standard heartbeat, there's the, you know, the two pumps, but it's, it's essentially got four strokes. And so it has an in-stroke, your two regular beats, and an out-stroke. Um, and on that out-stroke... 
if you're watching it on a graph, there there's kind of like a bell curve. And when on that outstroke, when it's going up, there is uh, like a two millisecond gap in which it's going up. You would have to, for this to happen, you'd have to be hit very hard in the center of the chest or directly above the center of your heart. And you would have to be hit in that window in which you were perfectly timed in that last upstroke of your heartbeat. And because of the rhythm your heart is in, it will cause it to stop. Which to me, you know, you you look at how many hits are in a game and how forceful the contact is and they're moving. So, you know, their heart rate's rapid. So you'd think the opportunity for this to happen is, you know, a million times a game, but it actually is a phenomenon. It it's almost impossible to do without measuring someone's heart rate. You couldn't do it on purpose. So it just, to me, this was one of those things. It's crazy. Unfortunate. Obviously we hope the guy recovers. We hope, sure. you know, we, we hope he's, uh, happy, healthy and at home soon. But it, it was just one of those things that it was so crazy to see. Um, and and the phenomenon is so rare that I just, I thought it was worth talking about. It's scary. It sucks for that guy, but it's also very interesting to me on a, I I guess, more scientific level. So, you know, we've, the lions have had their share of tragedy. I mean, in the early nineties when they had a, a playoff team and actually won a playoff game, the only one. Not in my lifetime, but that I'm old enough to remember. Um, you know, that I was old enough to remember. The Lions won championships in the 50s, but they haven't won anything since. But they won a playoff game, I believe it was in 91 or 92, when Barry played. And uh, when they had Barry Sanders. And during that season, they lost Mike Utley, and he was wheeled off and paralyzed from the neck down. Um, I want to say in that offseason it was either the offseason that year or the previous year, Eric Andelsek, who was a guard from um, LSU, it was like a fifth-round draft pick, he was home mowing his lawn and got run over by a truck and killed. And he was a starter. The coolest thing about Eric Andelsek, that, that aside from the, you know, it's not cool that what happened to him, and he was a good player. He was a starter. Um. But one of the most memorable things, I remember when OSU played Ohio State. And I want to say it was at Ohio State, or LSU played Ohio State. And Eric Andelsek played for LSU. Chris Spielman was playing for the Buckeyes at that time, and Andelsek was playing for the Tigers. And during the coin toss, they got into a fight. I love that. That's awesome. But that's the kind of player Eric Andelsek was, and that's the kind of player Chris Spielman was. But yeah, you know, I mean, doesn't it suck that one of the greatest guys from Ohio State? I know it does. But I mean, Spielman is, I, a cool and I've said player. it before, and I'll keep saying it. His imprints on this team, it really is. I don't know what his job capacity, what his official title is, but these are his imprints on this team. And I, I think she not has just him. him in her back pocket to call anytime a big decision's being made. 
Well, I tell you, you know, I, I like where they're going. I like where they're headed. Just one more thing about tragedy on the field, and I know we need to move on. I told you, in you know, when we were talking before we went on air about Chuck Hughes. To date, he's the only NFL player to die on the field. And I was watching that game. It was in 1971. I was 16 years old. And I was watching that game, I th- and I know it was on a black and white TV. So that's how old of a game. And uh, he was going back to the huddle, and it was like he was shot. I mean, he just went face forward. His hands didn't move. And, I mean, he was right on his face, and he was dead on the field. When I saw, you know, I was watching this game when DeMar Hamlin fell. That was so scary. And he just went backwards that way. I mean, it was just like a tree that didn't move, just tipped and went over backwards. But, yeah, Chuck Hughes died on the field. Well, that's and the frightening part, right? It's like, like if you pass out or fall, a lot of times there's at least an initial reaction to catch your body. So, like, even if you pass out, you may have started to get your hands back when you pass out. If you get a concussion, you can see that the body's, like, tightened up and seized so you a lot of times when people get hit that hard they, they don't just ragdoll they're more like zombie armed yeah and, so and their hands at least will twitch give, and contort yeah yeah and so it, it will at least give you an idea of what's wrong but when someone just tips over like a tree doesn't brace themselves at all and slams it i mean it looks like they're dead it's just well and that, he's a safety he's got hair. pads on he's probably got the vest on you know and uh, uh, that just had to be terrifying for everybody and you could tell watching it you know espn didn't know what to do and I, i'm not criticizing them i i wouldn't know what to do either i mean they kept bouncing it back and forth to different people in the studio and stuff and at every place they bounced it there was an, a former NFL player. I mean, Troy Aikman called the game. He was calling the game. So, I mean, every place they go, they've got a, a former NFL player in there, and these guys were visibly distraught at this. Well, because you, know, you could see it. Like, the oh, yeah. the hit was yeah. not vicious to where you see something like this happen. Right. And so that's where someone who's been on the field especially goes, uh-uh, this isn't... This isn't, he got up and was dazed. It's like, something's wrong. Oh, yeah. It's not good. It's just like when you see an injury and people start waving. You know, I I know the one is from when uh, LT hit, was it Theismann? Yeah, and snapped his leg in half. Yeah, it's and I know that's the famous one, but there's been other injuries where it's like, players know when certain players get hurt and it's whatever. But when someone really gets hurt, they do care about one another and they wave you on in a panic because it's like, oh, this is fucked now. Oh, yeah. Like, get out yeah. here. And that was the emotion of everybody because it it, it just I wasn't mean, right when he tipped over. It just Booger McFarlane, who I like, he was like, they kept switching it back to the studio with him and that Susie Culber and Adam Schefter, I think. And Booger McFarlane could barely talk. I mean, he was just like distraught. You know, there was you as far as I'm concerned, they showed too much of it on the field, but that's, I'm not a producer at ESPN. You know, I think they struggle because they, 
I think you remember it, it was right after the the Willis McGahee knee injury at oh. Miami Ohio State National Championship, oh. which is one of the grossest things I've ever seen in my life. But right after that is when ESPN was like, "All right, so we now pan away from horrific injuries. We will not show them on highlight." And and it seemed like that for a while, and then we started going back and. I don't know if it was Texas saying that one kid broke his shin on a wagon at the back of the stadium, Houston, and and then University one of, of them. But the other one was the kid. I thought he was from Texas A and M, where he caught the ball behind a defender's back, but the defender landed on his foot and dislocated his foot from his ankle. Yes. And when those two things happened, they went right back to okay, we don't show injuries, so they panned away. But if someone's down on the field but you can't see the injury, the the media coverage stays there. So I do feel bad that they showed it so much because I'm sure it scarred some people. But at the same time, I, I as far as the camera crew and all that, I think they're in kind of a rough position. Because oh, yeah, absolutely. If it's a horrific injury, they're supposed to look away, but we had no idea what this was. Dude, I look at car accidents when I look, go by on the highway. Oh, God. I'm, you know... I'm not the the classic gawker slowdown, but I'm close. Because I look. I mean, well, it's you almost, never know who it's going to be. I That's know. The, well, did you see the Theisman one? Yes. I that mean, is the... That... I, between his knee and his ankle, his leg went 90 degrees sideways. Yeah, between I don't know that I've ankle. ever seen someone's leg break like that, <laughs> that except for... Well, for anyone out there who's listening, if you're a UFC fan, when Anderson Silva went to do a leg check and his his shin broke, it was the same thing, but instead of breaking forwards, it broke completely sideways. Yeah. Oh, and you know that bone came out of the skin. <laughs> Did you, it, you've heard about the DeMar Hamlin's GoFundMe thing? I have not. Oh, well, it, when he was, I want to say when he was at Pitt or just, because he's only been in the league, this is his second year. And he started this GoFundMe campaign, and it was for youth. It was to get them toys, to get them, and I'm I'm paraphrasing, and I'm not going to get it right. But anyway, it was all for youth. It was to benefit kids. And he wanted to yeah, raise a toy drive. like 3000 2500 bucks. Well, before this happened, it was like at $2,900. The last I saw this morning, that GoFundMe account is over $5 million bucks. So See, that to me is one of those things, and, and I, I know it's not for everyone out there, but like for those of you who are religious and believe that things happen for a reason, it, with as rare as it would be for this occurrence to happen, for his heart to stop and all that, the phenomenon we talked about, that to me is one of those things happen for a reason because it's very unfortunate what happened to him, but it, the harm that happened to him is going to help so many others by the GoFundMe you're talking about. Yeah. I, and, Does that and make again, sense? There's something good that comes out of it. I'm not, and obviously, I, I hope and pray that he's okay. I know you do too. And, I, yeah, and I'm sure absolutely. everybody does. And we want that. 
this aside from that, this is a wonderful thing. This is a good thing that's happened. And it's because of that. It's unfortunate that it happened because of that. But it's a good thing that it's happened. You know, uh, it's like I said, unfortunate that it took that to make it happen. But it did happen. And and that's just, you know, it's there's something good. There's something good, at least. So Yeah, the last update was 18 hours ago. His fundraiser had a goal of $2,500. Right. And as of 18 hours ago, it made $5,013,190. <laughs> That's pretty good. That, that you know, if there's got to be a silver lining, that for sure is that. Well, um, it, you're looking for one in this. Yeah, and absolutely. And that's at least something. Yeah. So, um Well, I know we've talked about a lot of football. I think there'll be a little bit less. I know we'll have the championship to talk about next week, but, um, you know, I I think next week will probably be more family stuff, stories, all that good stuff. But uh, moving on from football, you had mentioned that you wanted to talk about a movie called The Drop with James Gandolfini. James Gandolfini, who played Tony Soprano, who you remember, we used to watch it every Sunday night. Yeah. I just didn't know if I had his name correct. Yep, that's right. And it was the last film that he made before he died. And I, you know, he made several movies. He he was in The Last Castle. He was with Robert Redford. He was in The Mexican with Brad Pitt. But anyone who um, watched The Sopranos, this fit the character you know his him as very well. It, it was very. It was similar in ways that he wasn't in those other movies I mentioned. It, there was a lot more similarities to the like Tony the Soprano character. Heavy breathing, the greaseball attitude, like not the, not a wealthy mafia shady. guy, just yeah. Shady. He was, shady. and it also had Tom Hardy, right? Yeah, Tom Hardy was great in that movie. He was the bartender at that movie. It was centered around a little bar called Cousin Marv's that Tony Soprano at one time owned. Uh, you know, he was Cousin Marv, and uh, and he had lost it for gambling. And what city was this bar in? Do you remember? You know, it. They were. I want to say they were Giants nice? fans, right? Okay. So it, it must have been in Jersey, makes it, which again would align with the Sopranos. Yeah, I think it was in it. There were docks in the movie. There's a scene on the docks, so it had to have been in Jersey. Um, but a, his last film, really good film, kind of dark. Tom Hardy is just gripping in that movie, and you know, there's a bunch of stories. There's a a, a little love story with Tom Hardy, who's this. Backward guy, kind of. He's very quiet. He's very reserved. He he clearly has inherited his parents' house, which is walking distance from this bar called Cousin Marv's where he works. It's in Brooklyn, by the way. Oh, okay. All right. Well. I, I, just, um, I was just looking. No, up. that's good. I would have thought Jersey, but we're in the neighborhood anyway. Oh, um, yeah. But, yeah, and and you and I were talking about it. Uh, before there's so many things in that movie that are suggestive but they're not definitive so even at the end and i don't want to 
I don't, I don't want to, the movie's old to do a spoiler alert. I don't want to give everything away for those who haven't seen it because it's really, I think it's a really good movie. Even if the, at the end there's things that happened that I felt we both thought the same thing, but we didn't think exactly the same thing about how it got there. Like you thought the cop figured out who was the murderer a hundred percent and he was just looking the other way right yes and i thought the cop i I would agree with all that but i thought the cop also thought he didn't have the grounds he didn't have the evidence to prove it and so he had to walk away but it's a there's a little bit of a love story there's a great dog in it a pit bull and that he finds in a garbage can Pitbull. And his, he calls him Rocco. He names him Rocco. And you get and to the, watch him as this little puppy, and he kind of grows up, and oh my goodness, I love it's that It's a dog. great movie. And, and you know, this bar, this Cousin Marv's, this bar, it's taken over by these Chechens, and that's what they call them, Chechens. And, you know, Tom Hardy, he's the bartender. Well, and Marv is still, you know... He's not owner of the bar anymore because he's lost the bar, but he's worked out some deal where he's still, he's like the business manager of the bar or something like that. And he's shady and he's always got a scam going on. And the reason it's called the drop is that this bar, it's before casino gambling and online betting became legal. Um, what year is the movie made, Jared? Did you do you have that movie up on site? Because uh, I'll, I'll pull it up while you're talking. Yeah, it's a few years old, but I don't remember exactly how old. But it was before all the online gambling was was you know prevalent. And um, when they were taking in all these you know bets, which this Chechen group, they had all kinds of rackets, you know. They had bars, they had, you know, I'm sure they were laundering money in different places. Um, And they had, uh, you know, gambling. And they would pick a bar into the Super Bowl, and they called it the drop bar. That's where all the bets came to, so they could pick up all the bets at one place. Well, this Cousin Mars gets picked as the drop bar on the night of the Super Bowl. And it happens to be that I believe the Giants are playing. Giants are, maybe it's the Jets. Must be the Jets. Because I I remember, I recall him wearing a green, like, coat. A Jets coat. But anyway, um, really a a neat story. The dog's involved in the story. Because the guy who threw the dog away is like a drug addict and a drug dealer. Who finds out that Tom Hardy has adopted this dog. And is also courting his ex girlfriend, and so he goes to him and wants to give the dog wants the dog back or threatens to take the dog back. And you know Tom Hardy doesn't kind of know how to deal with that, and the guy says, "Well, you give me ten ten grand," and Tom Hardy agrees to do it. But then that transaction never takes place, and uh, Tom Hardy ends up being this. Uh, very quiet. Um, he reminds me of the character in that movie Lawless that he played. You remember that one? 
I do not. Was Shia LaBeouf about the moonshining guys? I mean, I don't that, think I've seen it. Oh man, that's another Tom Hardy movie, and I, it was on Netflix. I'm sure it is, but he, it's the, a similar character in this that he plays. He's just very deliberate, very. Like, you wouldn't suspect that he's a rocket scientist, but he's, you know, he's no, he's no stool pigeon. He's not an idiot. He's, he's quietly very uh, deliberate and smart and knows what he's doing. Um, but this, you know, uh, again, I don't, I don't want to give it away. Did you say what year it was, Jared? It was made in 2014, but it was off of a book in 2009. Uh, that was written about a previous era. I it doesn't specify what era the the film okay. takes place in, but if I had to guess, it like I, I would I would bet it was within I don't know ten years of of the same era as when like Invincible was, because it the the setting of the city seems very similar to me. Well. I remember there was a car like that, that, like that Cadillac your mom had, and I can't remember what year that car was. 2000? 98 or 2000, that DeVille? Yeah. And there's a car exactly like the car your mom had that was in that movie. So, yeah, I, and that's the only thing I remember about that. But a really, a little bit dark, but very well acted. James Gandolfini is great. The detective is great. Um, Tom Hardy's fantastic, and um, it's just and the kinda... narrative is is cool because it like there's definitely that inflection that we've talked about. But it, like you were saying, how it leads you down a path, but it kind of lets you discern. Um, although you're you're kind of given the answer, you it lets you discern like how it plays out. Right. Um, so. Uh, like a big part of that film uh, with Tom Hardy is this whole movie just kind of starts with what's going on in their lives, right? Like it starts in prep for the Super Bowl weekend, but right. it doesn't give you a whole lot of background into their past. And by the end of it, with the dealing with the drug dealer and the 10 grand or with some of the, the brutal stuff that he happens to see, you start to get this idea that it's like, yeah, maybe this isn't the first time he's seen some shady shit or dealt with them. It's almost like his moral compass isn't affected. Right. Yeah. He, he's, it's the right thing to do. He just, in his mind, it's the right thing to do. And he doesn't give it another thought. You right, know, but then and, it's and, like, is he just built like that, or has he done this before? <laughs> they, no, it, and that's what they leave up to interpretation, right? Is like they build this character, but they don't give you that pass. And that's what I think is probably the best thing about that movie is like you you see what he's dealing with with his cousin Marv and, and these Chechens at the bar and, and the chaos and and like I said, there's some brutality in there and, yeah. and what he's dealing with with that drug dealer. But it never seems to phase him, and it nope. gives you this sense of, okay, is he truly just built different, or has this guy done some shit, and they just want us to never really know because he's always just got away with it? Well, you know, 
through a large part of that movie, I kept thinking, well, this guy, you know, I, I just thought he was really simple, right? He just, and that, I'm not saying unintelligent. Yeah. I, I'm not saying I thought he was dumb. I just thought he was real basic, you know? And by the time that's how everyone thinks the quiet ones always are. (laughs) (laughs) By the time everything unfolds, it's like, oh no, this guy's not simple. (laughs) <laughs> this guy, he may not. It's talk almost a like lot. he realizes that everyone who speaks in his world is giving up some form of too much information. So he's yeah. not going to talk. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of times that you know when you have like big staff meetings and that, and sometimes, many times, it's not true. But a lot of times at, at big meetings, the quietest person in the room maybe the smartest and it's not always that way but lots of times it is that way and this is kind of like that it's like this guy is if 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 you know for i would be curious about you know anybody who is a, a subscriber or listener you know to give us some feedback on what they think of that movie because i just think that's a great i love james gandolfini and for more than one reason he's I, a great prick he is. Yeah. He he played a phenomenal prick in that movie and The Sopranos. I mean, he does that well. But along the lines with what you're saying about like the the quietest in the room and and the staff meeting and all that, um, I I have a similar opinion to you as that. But I've always thought of it more as like people who aren't talking are thinking ahead. That's fair. And so it's like they're solving they're solving problems. So while he's sitting there not speaking and he's wiping down the bar, it's like he's solving the problem in his head and just not talking. And that I really enjoyed that about that movie. Well, there's one point where he has to dispose of a human arm and it's like, and he didn't do it, but he has to dispose of it. He quietly, you know, he's got a gym bag. He's got the arm in a gym bag. He goes back to where they wrap their meat and stuff to put it in the freezer because they serve sandwiches at this bar. He pulls out this cellophane wrap on this big long tube and he's talking to Tony Soprano, to Cousin Marv in the movie while he's doing it. And he's like rolling it, this arm up and wrapping it all. He sticks it back in the gym bag and then he walks, takes his dog for a walk walks down to the water and chucks it into the bay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and he's just, he is, he's just, he seems so unassuming, but you're right. He's, but you get that vibe of like, uh, like even the Chechens at the end of the movie, get that vibe where it's like, Oh yeah. Have done this before or don't fuck with that guy. I'm not sure which yeah. one, but don't fuck with that guy. <laughs> good guy to have on our side. Yeah. It's real yeah. good guy to have on our side. They, like you said, they figure that out too. You know, uh, no, I just, I would be curious. Uh, I, I really enjoy that movie. I told you, I mean, I, I didn't think I looked like Tony Soprano, but I was bald and a big guy and, I got called that a lot. I mean, a lot. And then I got called that so much while I was working by a lot of people. And it was, it was kind of like, I didn't think so, but it seemed like a, I wouldn't, it wasn't just me. Cause a lot of people yeah, but told you're, me that. 
you're a big ball guy. You wear a leather jacket. I know. I know. Right. No, you you that, drove all black vehicles forever. That, <laughs> yeah, but see that all you, that happened were, before Tony Soprano. But after a while, and and when like your friends, like your guy friends, you guys would meet up at the bar for lunch. Yep. I mean, so if someone were to write a character about you, would it not look like Tony Soprano? Oh yeah, and all I'm saying is, I don't think you guys are like twins, but I completely get the reference. All that stuff, the leather jacket, the car. I was doing that before Tony Soprano, but after so many people said that to me. I embraced it. I started doing it's like if hey, it brought works, out the damn pinky ring. It, yes. If it works, yes. why not embrace it? And you know what? I it worked. As and much as I don't like pinky rings, I do like that pinky ring. I'll give you that. Well, it's the crest of the, the city of Detroit. Of Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, and that's the only pinky ring I own, and I don't wear jewelry, but I do wear that one when I go out and yeah, and I, I mean, I just, I embraced it. And, you know, for whatever reason, it's like, if it helps get something done, and it, trust me, that, you know, that doesn't make me a badass. That doesn't make me some big intimidating dude. But if people think that, and I'm just a nice guy trying to politely get something done, and if a little bit of that persuasion helps... I'm gonna. I I'll use what tools God gave me, and it's like. So it was one. It's of so those funny you say that because I've talked to Melissa a million times. I've been like, do I look like the guy that you should just like come fucking talk to? Because I, I know at times I have like resting bitch face, and I, and I do not dress like preppy by any means. It, but for some reason, it, like moms in the grocery store come up to me. Can you help me get that off the shelf? It's like. I don't mind doing it at all, but it just surprises me that I, know. I look like the guy you want to talk to. <laughs> well, and, and you know, and there was just so many things with me where the stars aligned, you know, the whole Tony Soprano thing happened at the right time in my career at work. And then, you know, it's like I work for this, um, you know, a family-owned, uh, a Jewish family-owned company. We do lots of business with Italian-owned companies. <laughs> and it, <laughs> I mean, there's all these undertones that people. And then you know, so we're going to wild game dinners. I want a shotgun. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Like who goes out to dinner and comes home with a, a shotgun? Not a shotgun. <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, there was so many things where the stars aligned, and I just embraced it, and it worked for me, and it was a good thing. But I, lo I loved him in, in The Sopranos. I, I've, I, this was my favorite movie that he did, and it was his last film before he died. And Tom Hardy is exceptional. So if, if people out there either, if they've already seen it, I, you know, we'd love to hear their feedback on it, and I'd love to hear their feedback if they decide to watch it, because... I just highly recommend it. I, and I think also, if there's a movie you'd like us to watch or a movie you'd like us to talk about, please comment that as well. Sure. Um, no, we we talked about telling stories, and I wanted to touch base on one that, and we got to do a little bit of background first just to refresh everybody's memory, including my own. 
Yeah, yeah, that works for me. Um, well, yeah, we're rolling up on about an hour and a half here, so I figure we'll uh, get the get the family story in, and then probably head out after that. If you're good with that, yeah, that works for me. Well, okay, my story is about JP, um, J- JP Godwin. Now, JP is part of our family, uh, as. You know, people who listen know uh, my best buddy, Alan, who's been my best buddy forever. Um, his daughter, January, is married to J.P. Godwin. But they nobody live in calls her January. What is her nickname? Jan. Everybody calls her Jan or Janie. Or the general. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jan, Jan, Jan's, Jan's a high sticker. <laughs> There's low maintenance, there's high maintenance, and then there's Jan. Jan comes in hot a lot. Yeah. You don't like it? Fucking take it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She is definitely high energy, and we love her to pieces. Oh, yes. And JP, and you've called her your sister, you know. Well, JP, oh, yeah. her husband, is as low-key as, you know, milk toast. He's like, And yeah. he's a real, he's a cool guy and he's a really smart guy. He's a turtle. Yeah, he is he really chill. Is. He's just chill. He is so chill. chill. And he was he is it Bud Light? It's not Bud Light. Coors Light. I don't know what he drinks. It's all the time though. I mean, when he's off duty, when he's off work, it's like that dude's He puts he's away got a more can beer of in a day than most people do water. He's got a can of beer and he's never hammered. No. <laughs> he's, he's never hammered. Just mellow. But, and and he, you know, when I met him, it was such you know, because we had similar working histories. Like I did a job similar in a lot of ways to what he does now. And you know, and JP's a young man still. And um, <laughs> you know, and he and I hit it off right away. Well, then I know that they were able to. They weren't able to make it to Joe's because Joe's wedding because Finn was just born. But they did make it to Jacob's, and they made it to yours, to your weddings. And, you know, they, and they, one year when we had the fire and we were living in the psychedelic shack, the rental house, they, they came to visit. So we had a house full and Alan and Wendy came too. We got a house full in this little rental house with no AC. (laughs) And we called it the psychedelic shack because whoever painted the interior of the house was either high or used what paint they had or both because. And it was a. no Go colors ahead. matched. And it was a shack because it was, what, uh, two rooms in a hallway? <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, you had a living room, a kitchen, and a hallway that connected the bathroom and the, the were, bedrooms. Yeah, there were three bedrooms, but there, two of them were tiny. But it was the size of this house was if you had a no-basement bungalow. Like when you... When you look at a house, yes. like, like in today's day and age, and you want a ranch, yeah. they come with a finished basement, and they say they're only 1,300 square feet, but you get an extra 1,000 square feet in the basement or whatever the case is. Not this house. This did not have a basement. So it was just the 1,300 square feet in which it had a washroom, a horseshoe-shaped kitchen, yep. a dining table next to the kitchen, then yep. a hallway with a bathroom and two bedrooms at the end. A living room and a and a bedroom at the other end. So it was, and we, and we have all rental furniture. Yeah. Well, <laughs> because a of lamp, right? we lost all our furniture in the fire. 
<laughs> so we have all run. But anyway, they they came to visit us once, and and you know what? In spite of the psychedelic shack and the and the no AC, God, what a great time that was. That, I mean, we've just always had a good time with with Jan and JP when they come to visit for whatever reason. We always have fun, and you know, I remember one. I don't remember which visit it was, but and you guys were just you know, I mean. It, JP's just like that. He just fits in. Like he could be, yes. I could walk to a place. We could, me and all you boys could go in to a place together. And we'd act like father and son. They'd see us as, people would see us as father and son. If you put JP in there, he'd just seem like another son. You know, it's just that, it's that seamless, you know. And so we always knew, you know, from the get-go, we always just loved JP and thought he was a great guy. And we loved Jan to pieces. And it's like, one, one of those visits, I was taking Jan and JP, and I'm, and I'm sure Finn, yeah, back to the airport. And I was going to Detroit Metro. And at that time, Joe and Kelly were trying to buy the house that they currently have now, the condo. And... uh and, you know, it was coming down to the short strokes at the end and, you know, the inspection, you know, the, the, the there were several things that had to get taken care of. And the owner was saying, well, I'll just knock this much money off and I won't do a no garage door. I won't do a new garage door and things like, you know, they were, they were right at the end and they had a deal in place. Well, the deal in place included contingencies that, okay, if this doesn't pass inspection, you got to fix it. So Joe calls me, and I, while I'm in the car with Jan and JP, were you with me when this happened? I'm were not you sure. with us? I, I don't, I don't think, think so. I was. I don't think I, think I was. I think it was just me and Jan and JP and Finn. And we're going back to, you know, we're almost to Detroit Metro, and Joe calls me. And, you know, JP, again, he's a little bit like Tom Hardy in this regard. He'll talk your leg off. But lots of times he'll just sit back and listen. You know, he, he can be really quiet and he's super mellow. Well, I got Joe on speakerphone and Joe's like, you know, like coming out of his shoes. He's so pissed. And I think one of the, thing, one of the things was is that the inspector said, well, you have to replace that garage door. And the owner said, the, the seller said to Joe, he's like, well, I'll just take a thousand dollars off and you replace the garage door. And it's like, and when that came out, you know, cause he's on speaker in the car and JP's just sitting there and they're all just listening while Joe's ranting and they, and Joe knew they were in the car. And when they, when Joe says that about this seller trying to say, well, I'll just deduct a thousand dollars and you can replace the garage door. JP, the only thing out of his mouth was fuck that guy. <laughs> and so and Joe so Joe immediately loves JP <laughs> right and when that, when that story was passed through to you guys it only increased you know it, it only endeared him to everybody more you know <laughs> but uh JP he's a he's a great guy and and they've got you know he and Jan have a wonderful son, Finn, and 
I was trying he's to think. He's good for her too. Their personalities are so different. I mean, you know, a, it's like this. Match. It's like the scales of justice. You know, <laughs> when when you go to one extreme or the other, they can meet in the middle, right? Well, there's it, a there's a comedian that talks about. I think he's actually referencing like sex positions and what works for his wife and verse what works for him. But it, it relates to just Jan and JP's personalities really well. He's like, I'm like, you know, your universal Samsung charger. It's like, yep, fits, 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 doesn't fit, flip it over, fits. As to where Jan is like the iPhone 8 special fucking part that only charges her. Like, <laughs> that's that's how they are, but they work so well. And, and I mean, she's she is a sweetheart. I do. I, I love her to pieces. She is my sister. Uh, but but, you know, that that's part of being family is that we can all pick on each other about some of the, the quirks and qualities that we have. And with her, she can be. uh Bold, <laughs> bold up front and, and, and strict, <laughs> but she's uh, she's still a good time. But he he is very chill, and so they're just the the perfect match. And, and obviously, we're happy for them and their family that they're doing well. But you know, I, I just think it's really cool to see two people like that get together. You know, it was I, I'm sure it was at Jacob's wedding because at Jacob's wedding, his was at a location where we didn't stay. You know, we, we drove home and, and I remember this cause J, JP and Jan came to his wedding. They weren't able to make it to Joe's because Finn had just been born. Right. And they didn't want to fly with him and all that. But so they go, we go to Jacob's wedding and, and everybody came home. I mean, JP and uh, we got the Browns to watch Finn. Well, that was when, uh, Sandra Brown and all the girls watched Finn for the evening. Yeah. Uh, for Jan and JP, but we get home and it's like, I don't know, two and JP and they had got home a little bit before us. They were at our house a little bit before we got back after the wedding and reception. And I had bought all this beer for JP, you know, and he didn't have time to drink it. <laughs> you know, there was probably 13 or 14 beers left. They were still cold and it's like 2 a.m. And he's like, you know, in the house and he's chilling, you know, and he goes, you going to stay up for a while? I go, yeah, I can. He goes, well, I got to drink some of this beer you got me because I can't take it back. And they were flying back like at 8 a.m. <laughs> Yeah, but he's so, not flying. So, well, so, we, yeah, so we, is your captain sweet? We, we sat there for probably probably till four four thirty in the morning, and he was you know just sitting there drinking beer, and we were just bullshitting. It was such a such a great time. But yeah, he's we've already had a few adventures with JP, and if we saw him more, I know we'd have a lot more. But yeah, he's just a good guy, and it's um, he's part of the family too. It's a good deal. It really is. <laughs> yeah. Well, on that note, we're I think we're just over two hours, so I think it's probably a, a good time to wrap it up. Is there uh, anything else you want to mention or potentially a, a movie you want to suggest for next time? No, let's think about something. Hopefully we'll get a – you and I can come up with some thoughts on other films, and if we get some feedback, maybe a suggestion from anybody, we always like that. And, uh, 
Yeah, it's like we'll have more of the portal and in, in, um, the NIL to talk about next week. And the like you said, the title game and uh, the college football title game. So, no, I'm good, man. Sounds good. Well, to all of our listeners out there, we, we appreciate you guys sticking with us and staying along this far. <clears throat> Again, if you guys have comments, questions, anything, please comment below. Let us know. Uh, every like, every share, every view uh, tremendously helps us, and we are looking forward to grow and to continue to do this. So, um, again, we appreciate that. And other than that, I don't have anything. So be safe, be smart, make good choices, and peace out. Love you, Dad. Love you too, buddy. Bye.